Welcome to the second viewing, folks, where we watch it twice so you can listen once. I'm Dan. And I'm Kyle. Shakabra. Alright guys, well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Uh, you know us, we always watch a movie twice, but this time around we're doing the first half of a great film, so we can give you our first impressions on the film. Um, kind of just what we thought about it going into it, then as always, we're cutting near the half. We're going to show you, or I guess, talk about what we thought about it as on, on this, a rewatch. Yeah, on the second viewing. And so Yeah, and the movie we are doing today um, is, well, it's Birdman. Or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. I forgot about the bracket title. I didn't even realize there was a bracket title. Because the first time I saw this movie um, was on Netflix, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Like, I, I, yeah, I definitely didn't see it when it first came out. Matter of fact, I was had no idea about this director until you told me. Oh, okay. And this was, well, it was a while ago now when I saw it. Yeah, you. I think, <coughs> I think it was probably... Year and a half ago, I think roughly. I remember, I remember. I remember actually. Yeah, it was before the podcast started. Yeah, it was near the earlier years of the of us making the second viewing and whatnot. I remember actually, I was driving. No, I left my car at your house. Um, we live pretty close together actually, and uh, so I was just walking to my car essentially. And I remember you like met me halfway on your bike. You're like, hey, I just watched Birdman. It was so good. Like, I want to watch it again. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure you, you did, right? You went back and like watched it again. Yeah, right away. I, like instantaneously after I watched this movie, I saw it again. So I guess with that being said, this is not necessarily a traditional second viewing episode, but it's something we want to introduce near the end of this season, talking about movies we think are important to talk about, or even some of our favorite movies. Yeah, absolutely. So this is an example, I guess, of a movie we both share as a favorite film, I suppose. One yeah. of our favorite films. Uh, totally, and it's. Yeah, the context of the second viewing is a little bit looser, mind you. I literally watched it once, met up with you for 20 minutes max, and then watched it again. So I consider like that, to me, those thoughts that I might have had of what I learned on the second viewing are kind of lost, and I'll have to rediscover that after we watch it again before recording the second half of this cast. Okay. Because... That, That seems fair to me. That seems fair. You know, I watched it like... Back to back, very close. So without that time gap in between to let thoughts develop and to uh, sort of, I don't know, clear your movie watching palette, yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, yeah, I think there's something to be said about that. So I, I'm not super worried about the, that not fitting into our And if you guys are worried, that's really your problem as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so um, I feel you, man. Like I saw this movie three times in the theater. Actually, uh, kind of not by choice slightly, <laughs> but um, I did see it three times within like two months or a month. Um, I, the first time I saw it, it, it was this weird reaction of like, I didn't really know what to think. Like it was so different in a way. Um, and it kind of like, I mean, maybe this, this might be like the, the beginnings of the second view. Cause it was one of those, f- one of those first movies for sure. Where I was like, okay, the next time I watch it, I want to notice what happens I have, I have this question and this question and this question i want to like keep my eyes open i want to know what's going on the next yeah. time around and the, yeah there was a lot of things i remember like um even like some of the, like the imagery of like he's in like this like oh, god when there's like this like thing shooting out of the sky shooting into the sky out of this like like pond with a jellyfish in and this like weird imagery it's a really weird kind of abstract movie but it's so different in its own way, and it really works in and, that way, I think. Yeah, totally. And I think some of the symbolism is is not necessarily uh, meant to contribute to what I think the film 
means, but I think it's meant to contribute to the viewer that you can sort of interpret it the way you like. Like there's yes. hidden symbolism in it that is really meant more for you to sort of uh, react to yeah, or, or sort it, of... you can take it how you want it, I guess. Especially in the ending, I would say. That's very left, very much left yeah. up to the viewer in terms of how they feel about it, what they think happens, um, what's real, what's not, that kind of thing. Uh, and that, but that kind of plays to the whole movie in a way. It's kind of like, what's really going on? It's very, it's very dreamlike kind of. Yeah. And you know what? I, and I think I've said this to you before that I, I like when movies are left open-ended for me to decide how it ends right. or because, because I get to, I get to live with my take on what I think the movie you is. Wanna, you want to yeah. be shown, not told sort of thing. Yes. But, yeah. and then, but there's the other thing is where a movie sort of leaves it with what people call a cliffhanger or left up to the viewer to decide right. uh, what happens. Sometimes it's done really lazily and that really pisses me off because I genuinely like that well, yeah. style for the most part. It can be a crutch or a cop out. Yes, yeah. exactly. But in this movie, it is so not. It's sort of like, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. I was just, I had this, and maybe it was the mood I was in that day, or maybe it was the mood this movie put me into, but right. something about this movie maybe I don't know, I had this very positive and happy reaction to it. And I'm pretty sure the night before we had a long night of drinking, if I recall. <laughs> Likely. <laughs> like, I, I recall we were on your shed roof at one point. That was that night. Oh, yeah, this is the day. I shattered my phone that day. So it was a nice that phone, night. Man. Yeah, it was a great phone. Yeah, uh, rip phone. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, I guess maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the specifications of this film. So, like, we got this film was directed by Alexandro G. Inaritu. So that's the second time this guy's been on the cast because we did review his film from, I guess it was twenty fifteen technically, The Revenant. Yeah. But we saw that at the beginning of this year is one of the first episodes of the podcast. You can check it out here. And uh, yeah. I'll, I'll try and fucking do that. I don't know. Uh, I'll forget to probably do that. But <laughs> forget to put the an what do they call annotation, it? The annotation, the YouTube annotation, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. And his his um his directorial style to me is really interesting because it's very different each time he makes a film. His film before this is a beautiful, it's a great movie. I haven't seen it. It's great, but it's it's so yeah. It's like each film, at least his last three. I think he might have made one or two more, but I'm I don't know what they are. I'm not familiar with them. Uh, they're so different. Even look at the Revenant. It's very, it's gritty and different, but it still has that dreamlike quality. You know, like, it it's kind of like yeah. really like abstract ideas. And sure, even maybe Revenant not as much, but I think the overall the overall uh, story or what you take from the Revenant could definitely be interpreted by the viewer. It's not so much cut and dry, I, I think. Yeah, I mean... Which is similar yes, to this, perhaps. It is based off of... Uh, it's it's re it's somewhat factual. Right. Uh, like, okay, it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. totally... And I think I think it's good to do that. I, I like movies based on a true story, I think, more than I like um, someone trying to do an exact telling of a movie because you really can't capture that. Uh, very well, I don't think. Like, like you, you um, imagine like, the energy behind a conversation that you're reading on a script that has been passed between. It's like playing a game of fucking telephone. I mean, things you, change. They're yes, gonna change. Exactly. For better you, for worse, they will. Yeah, you could tell the story of so and so, um, but that story has already been passed through so many people's mouths and and, right. and stuff like that that it might not be exactly the same way. So yeah, I like taking a creative approach on it and sort of right. taking the main facts of uh, what happened to a person. It's so more of, of an interpretation yeah. rather than like a 
remake or a exactly or a retelling. I guess you could say exactly. Now yeah. that, that I agree with that. And like Birdman is very original. And it's, oh, for and sure. It's like, it is. Yeah. It was written by him too, which I actually didn't know. Uh, it's very interesting. It's it's a movie about actors. It's a movie about like showbiz. You know, it's very centered around this idea of like what's behind the scenes and like you know actors are people too i guess in a way like yeah and, or and, like getting your break or um trying you know and i kind of like people always say like oh you're famous you got it so easy and like that's true to a degree but at the same time it's like everyone has problems it's all relative you know it's like you you could be bill gates but you still got a shitty day do you know what yeah, i mean exactly. and i think that movie kind of sheds some light Oh, this movie, sorry, shed some light on that kind of aspect of totally. it. Totally. And I think you could even call the main character in this movie, like, more of a B-list celebrity. He's, well, he's, definitely. He's, yeah, yeah. He made it once a while ago, and he had his sort of, like, limelight for a second, and now he is the guy who had that limelight once. Well, it's, it's really similar to a movie uh, called The Wrestler which has uh, Mickey Rourke in it. Have you seen The Wrestler? No, I haven't. Uh, Mickey Rourke was, like, an action star in the 80s. It was, yeah. like, kind of, like... John claude Van Damme or like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that kind of thing. Yeah. He, uh, not as popular, but whatever, you know, relatively well-known and whatnot. And then he kind of just went out of nowhere. He like didn't just like disappeared. And then he was in this wrestler in the wrestler where he played a wrestler who makes a big comeback after being a successful wrestler. And then it's kind of washed up and then makes a big return and like is triumphant. And that this movie is very similar in that way where it's like that happened in real life for Mickey Rourke and that happened in the movie. In this movie, we have the main character played by Michael Keaton in a very similar way, and even more meta, if you will, because it's like Michael Keaton was so popular for maybe the late '80s, early '90s, and then he disappeared. Yeah. And then he, he was revived basically in Birdman because he went on to be successful in Birdman, be successful in Spotlight, be successful in The Founder, and whatever else since. But not only that, but he played Batman, which is a superhero, and then he plays an old superhero in Birdman. Yeah. So it's like this weird, like he's kind of playing himself in a way. And you get, yeah. I remember the first time I sat, saw it, I was like, this is probably a really personal story for like Michael Keaton. Like who Michael, else would play this? Like no one else would play this basically. Yeah, I couldn't picture anyone else playing it. They wouldn't be able to Maybe capture it. Maybe Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire will be a, just don't be a superhero for a while. <laughs> Tobey Maguire will be in the remake of Birdman in 10 years. Can you fucking imagine it? Well, call, I call that right now. <laughs> Tobey Maguire, 20, 2026, 30 maybe even. 2026, yeah. Birdman, the remake will start. Tobey Maguire, watch out for that. <laughs> fuck that would be so funny if that came true i would buy you a case of beer let the let the record show i will buy you a case of beer if that happens i'm still running for tom mcguire i love that guy i mean i don't know if i have as much a hard on for him as i once did how much of a hard on did you have on for him more or less is what i'm <laughs> like a three-quarter chub yeah a three-quarter chub that's yeah. not bad that's actually pretty impressive yeah um <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I don't think I got a hard on Farb essentially, but like in terms of like what I liked him in, I still like him in those movies. You know, like I don't, I don't know. I don't. He hasn't know. been really great lately, and he probably I can't see him. He's kind of a weird actor. He's a fucking Michael Keaton. Well, twenty twenty six guys, twenty twenty six. Watch out. Anyways, um, I guess the the sort of the basic plot of this movie is that uh, Michael Keaton is a is struggling to put on this big show or to come up with a big show and he's having issues with his casting executing the script right. um and he wants this to be his triumphant return to the to the to the screen or to the broadway um, yeah he yeah, he wants to make a play 
which I can't remember if he mentions it, but I think he brings up the idea that like it's more meaningful to him to be more like personal setting. He wants to like kind of put his heart on the heart in his sleeve, kind of yeah. lay it on the stage sort of thing. Like yeah. his final hurrah, I guess in a way. Um, and you're right. Like he has pretty much any complication possible in a way. And like, I don't really know much about musicals or like, uh, Broadway productions, but yeah. it really displays it pretty well. I think like, it I think does. Yeah. And it, it the the way that it's shot is super cool. We've got to bring that up. Yeah, definitely bring that up. I think this this is like a it's cool, but like it's I've kind of I've become a little cynical about it. I'll be honest. Okay, well uh, for me, you set the stage. Describe to the listeners and viewers out there what this how this movie is shot. I think basically for me the appeal of it is, and the way that it's shot is it's edited to make it look like. It's seamless, as if the movie is recorded in one take. It's not, but it's edited to make it look that way. And I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's a really cool way of telling the movie that it just changes the way that you view it originally. Um, uh, after you watch this movie many, many, many times, you might be uh, develop an opinion on that style of uh, of a movie. But I think it's a unique way to tell a story and it puts you a little bit closer into Michael Keaton's shoes because it seems as if it's constantly rolling. There's no breaks between scenes. There's no fade to black. There's, there's nothing like that. There's no, uh, this conversation, that conversation. It's really, it's, it's, the only thing it's like, almost seamless. Like it, it, it fits together for me very like well. Emphasis on the almost is basically what I'm going to say about that. But yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so what's your gripe then? Okay, my gripe. Well, not even recently. Like, okay, I'll be honest, I'll be straight up with you guys. The first time I watched this movie, I didn't really even notice that it was all one take. I just thought it, the pacing was great of the film. But I will say. Trust me, I, I stand by this. There was one particular scene that really f- made me feel kind of weird. It was like, what the hell is going on? Like, why is this why is this here and that was there now? It's a scene with her, where we have uh, Edward Norton and uh, Emma Stone talking on the roof of the building. And then, like, after they have finished their conversation, they finish their scene, the camera pans up towards the sky and kind of, like, zooms around the sky and comes back down to the to the ground floor. And, and, and time changes as well, and the night changes. And it's just kind of like... It's felt, felt weird. I didn't think much of it at the time, but I'll be honest. Next time I saw it, it's maybe the second viewing portion, I suppose. But that was like that's when I noticed that it was all kind of supposed to look like it was one take, and I was like, now this isn't really one take. Cause like, and there's another scene like that too. You can't remember right now, and it's like there's certain scenes and where you think that that felt cheap. Excuse me. It felt kind of how do I say? Like it kind of felt like they didn't need. It made me feel like, yeah, maybe cheap. Maybe not cheap is a little harsh, but I feel like the cutting thing, <coughs> the cutting thing almost felt like a gimmick to me. It was kind of like right. the scene with them. I'll, I, I should clarify the scene with Emma Stone and, and Norton, I thought was made really well. So it was kind of like they could have kept doing more scenes like that, but they chose not to in a way. And there's only one or two, they kind of are different than the rest, but they stand out to me. And it's kind of weird. And if you look, there's certain scenes where they, you can kind of tell where it cuts, you know, like he steps into a puddle and the puddle ripples and then another part happens. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, well that's where the cut was. You start to see where they break it up. Yeah. And like, I don't less. know, maybe it's, it's nitpicking and I'll admit that. And I don't dislike the movie for it, but that is one thing people say they really like about the movie. I'm not going to say I hate it, but I'm a little cynical about it now. I will, so I you, will say that. I would say 
because you've mentioned, and I haven't necessarily noticed this, but because you mentioned that, and maybe it's been purposely put those scenes of like the puddle splashing and the showing of the sky and the changing of the day is to make you notice. But then why do it? What? Or maybe it's maybe it's to break up the movie a little bit more. I don't think so, man, because the movie's trying to feel seamless. It's trying to feel one cohesive thing, but it's not. And and maybe for whatever reason he thinks that that added artistic value. I don't know, but I'm excited well, to watch it again. And if you want to watch a movie that, that actually does that, check out Victoria. I came out oh, at the beginning that, of this year. That's a foreign film, right? I think yeah, Swedish maybe. It's legit one entire take. It's like Enti- German or something like that, right? Yeah, it's European. A, it's like sure. two hours long. I'm pretty sure and it's entire, entirely one take, choreographed performance film. It's pretty fucking unreal. So yes. check that out, guys. Sorry, but I mean, okay, so- I do like Birdman. I'm shitting on it a little bit, but like to me, it's like that's not the selling features for this movie. And I think the only reason I'm a little like pissed off is like that's what people always bring up about Birdman. I think there's more to talk about it than that. But like you said, we yeah. do need to bring it up because it's important. Yes. And anyways. Yeah. And it, we didn't we didn't talk about it for the first beginning of this cast, likely because yeah, it's not it's it's one of the things that stands out in this movie, but it isn't the selling feature. Well, I mean straight up I didn't even notice it the first time. So yeah. I, I, I think and I liked it the first time, so I think that's enough to say that like you definitely still watch the film. But, I mean, like, if you even look up Birdman, I'm sure you'll find an article about the filming style. And it's just kind of like, I guess it's my opinion on it. I don't know. Yeah. But It's cool. Matter, so, uh, anyways, I think it's cool that they took that approach. Maybe there's some weaknesses and strengths to it. Uh, I, I'm waiting for the second time around to, to judge that, or technically the third. But. Well, we'll watch it again. I mean, it's been some time. And we'll see. I'm sure other things will change. Um some other things I like, just thinking like off the top of my head that I really liked. Uh, Zach Galifianakis is actually really good in this movie. Super good, and he's and he's doesn't play a character like he's <sighs> ever really played it's before. Just so great. He kind of play. I feel like that's how he almost is. Maybe actually in real life, is he, right. you get that feeling. It felt really felt really natural to me. A little bit not, more not serious yeah. and and business like. Yeah, but still goofy. You know, like. Yeah. I feel like if he actually was like working backstage at a Broadway musical, I feel like he maybe would actually be like that. Right. I don't know. No, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I could picture if Zach Galifianakis was never an actor and he actually got, um, um, you know, a more commonplace job, like let's say he fucking, I don't know, worked at a movie pl- movie theater. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, he would have some goofs and some gaffes, but he would be serious to an extent. Yeah, I, I could see it. I'm yeah. um, also I technically a second appearance for Zach Galifianakis. On the cast, but not for the viewers, because there is actually a, there's a hidden episode of the movie Masterminds. Ooh, <laughs> there is. Um, Look we, forward to that. We might release that maybe one day. If anyone wants it, let us know. Um, I'll tell you right now, not a good movie. <laughs> Birdman, a good movie. <laughs> Great movie. Uh, yeah, actually, the cast is pretty fucking unreal in this movie, man. Like, yeah, Zach Galifianakis is better than he should be, as far as I'm concerned. Because, like, I... Don't better really? than you, better than you expect. Like him like, and him like, and Michael Keaton are almost on par for performances, really. Yeah, Michael Keaton, his 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 um his performance is a little bit subdued. It's a little like he kind of does this very like slow talking, like stuttering kind of like way he talks. It's very it's very quick and it's very yeah. I don't know. It's only it's almost rep. He has a rep, unique way of talking. That's yeah, for sure. It's, it's noticeable, but it it's a great performance. But Zach Galifianakis, like. I feel like he's almost always been the same character from The Hangover and every other movie. He's always the jokester or the... He's just the goofy, weird guy. 
Yeah. He's like the the obnoxiously weird guy for comical relief. Yeah. And it worked once. It's never worked since. It's barely worked once. That's another discussion. <laughs> um, Hold another conversation. Anyways, there. yeah, Ed Norton. Oh, also second appearance for Ed Norton on the cast. Don't forget to check out our last uh, off the cuff on Collateral Beauty. Oh, he's definitely in that movie. And what is he all about in that movie? What's he trying to do with that movie? Oh, he's trying to get some strange. Oh, he's all about that green. He's for all about sure. making that cheddar. Also, Kai's getting that strange it. for sure. He's trying to get that strange from a ghost. From Karen Bailey, um, dude. Yeah. Anyways, fucking. She's Ed pretty Norton. thin. She might be a ghost. Kira Knightley is, is surprisingly thin. Was she, wasn't she a ghost in like Pirates of the Caribbean 3 or like 7 or something? No, I don't think she was a ghost. I'm she pretty was sure she a was a ghost regular. in Pirates of the Caribbean 44, <laughs> Dead Man's... Um, <laughs> Dead Man's chest, still a chest? Dead Man's chest, still chesting. I'm pretty sure that was the one. So, fucking, um, we should we need to talk about Emma Stone. Okay, yeah, Emma Stone. Um, I'll be honest, didn't really do much for me. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever really been attracted to her. Um, I, di- I d- didn't really like the attitude of her character in this movie. It just kind of felt like, like find a fucking hobby and, you know, find find a part of your life to get consumed and why are you so pissed off people around you? Well, like, I don't know. I don't think she was bad, but, like, she was bratty. That was her character, I guess. But, like, she was nominated for Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for this. Was she really? Yeah. It's kind of like, why? I don't think so. Oh, we should bring that up really quickly, though. I guess this movie won Best Picture. It did, yeah. Uh, 2014? And then Alejandro went on to take it the following year with The Revenant. No, he didn't. He didn't, didn't he? No, Spotlight won. I thought he took it two years in a row. Am I crazy? He won the, I think he won the Golden Globe. I think the Golden Globe for Best Picture. Oh, okay. Fact check me if I'm wrong, but I know Spotlight won the Academy Award last year. Okay, never mind. Besides the point, besides the point, but like what you're saying essentially is Alejandro's been killing it for sure. Like his last two films have been critical yeah. and financial successes and he's, he's fucking nailing it basically at this point. Um, anyway, sorry, back to Emma Stone, but I thought she was just very bratty. I don't know, like her character did what it needed to do. I can't, I, I was always, she's just one of, it's a weird movie where it's like the characters are so recognizable in terms of the celebrity they are that it's it's weird that none of them remove me from that aspect, but Emma Stone does for some reason. Hmm. Like, Edward Norton and Michael Keane, and even Zach Galifianakis, fuck, actually, maybe especially Zach Galifianakis, they feel, they feel very much their own character, but Emma Stone just seems like Emma Stone to me. It's really weird. Right. I don't know. Maybe that's because, yeah, maybe it's because her previous roles she's younger, are so I guess. unsimilar. I yeah, and she's younger. I do like e- Easy A. That's a pretty good movie. Yeah. Also, she's fucking in Superbad. I think that was her first movie, I'm pretty sure. Was it really? She's Jules. Yeah, Super I know bad. she's Jules, but I didn't know that was her first. It's got to be one of her first for sure. Like, really? oh, I'm looking at right now. We got the wiki. Get a little right fact now. check. But no, Emma Stone for me, I don't think it, she took away from the movie. I Her character kind of pissed me off, which is not bad for a movie to, to have a character that does that. Not at all. As a matter of I mean, fact, yeah, it's, yeah. it's generally... It's a positive thing overall. Yeah, it just means that they portrayed that character well or that that character was scripted well. Right. That that Not necessarily the actor or actress, um, but... The character was placed well within the movie. Just to clarify, Superbad was Emma Stone's first movie. Was it really? So glad I didn't say oh, a case of beer if that was true. Yeah, damn, you would have been owing me some shit for sure. She was a she was on television for a while. She's on the Partridge Family. There was a the Partridge. There was family? a version of the Partridge Sweet Family. Zach and Cody. She showed up on. No way. Oh, for sure. She, she was did. Ivana Tipton. She was just a voice of it, though. She wasn't actually on the show. <laughs> <Are you serious? laughs> yeah, just the voice. Episode crushed. 
That's hilarious. How old do you think she was in fucking 2006, was that? Can do some really quick math for you, I suppose. <laughs> See, Emma Stone is currently 28. 2006 was 10 years ago. She was 18. Right? Yep. Is that right? 10 years ago? Yeah. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> All right. Anyways. Um, I remember actually she was, I'm pretty sure I read a thing that she was filming The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, while Burman was in production and she had a, like a month break or like I mean like a couple weeks off and she shot her entire scenes in between that break for Birdman in between Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, really? Which I uh, honestly always, I always, I always get props to that. Like you're doing two projects at once. Yeah, that definitely can't be easy. But I mean, Keira Knightley, her character in the movie Collateral Beauty did have three projects going at the same time. So shout out to her girl, Keira Knightley, because uh, she's a ghost that de- man. That deserves some props. I think if I saw Keira left, I saw Keira Knightley on the street. <laughs> I might not even know if she was there or not because she's a ghost. Yeah, she's fuck. I mean, All right, anyway, so who else is this movie? We got uh, Naomi Watts. She's the wife, ex-wife. No, she's not. God. I'm kind of forgetting things. Who's the wife of this movie? It was a while ago that we saw this flick. This why. Oh no, Naomi Watts is like the young actress who's in the play. Oh right, she, yeah. She gets it at Norton, or Ed Norton wants to get with her. No, Ed Norton wants to get with Emma Stone, right? Ed Norton wants to get with Emma Stone, but he finally, or he wants to do it for real on set or something when they're yeah, acting. There's some together. weird shit going on here. Yeah, and didn't he? he I think he might have fucked. Um, I think he, there's a sex scene for sure on 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 set. On the, yeah, I don't. The, I, that aspect of the film is a little bit more blurry for me uh, at the moment. But there was there's a really great scene where one of his actors actually fucking dies. There's a light that falls on his head and he oh, dies yeah. in the production of this movie. So I would, if I was to generally lay out this movie for you, I would say um, it is about the struggles of a man trying to attain fame again or attain limelight again and faces every hardship that could potentially be in his path yeah it's it's like kind of like wanting to make a name for yourself you know you want you want to be known for something when you die that's kind of one thing he talks about yeah like creating a legacy yeah creating a legacy i think there's this there's really good line about like how um he was talking about uh how farrah fawcett died on the same day that michael jackson did yeah. No one ever remembers that 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 was the day Farrah Fawcett died because it was like Michael Jackson died. So it's like whoever's most popular has yeah. the lo- larger legacy. It's like no discredit to Farrah Fawcett. She was a model, actress, whatever. But um, that's just kind of how the world perceives things, I guess. Right. Yeah. Like people would tend to remember whoever the was bigger more, names. Yeah, the bigger name. What do you think? One thing I guess maybe I want to leave this on potentially is like, what do you think the unexpected virtue of ignorance ignorance exactly means? I, might I think have, I might have a, a vague idea, but I don't think I definitely know. Um, I think it would be uh, Michael Keaton's inability to see the fault in his ways before because he's trying to find something he already had. So maybe he's <coughs> chasing something unattainable because he's not willing to change. And I think that Im- that title might actually tie into the ending of Birdman a little bit more. Right. I think it's funny because he is trying to change but he's not trying to change with the times. Or he's Which he, he's trying the, to change his status, but he, I don't think he's trying to change him. Right. Yeah, that's true. As a no, person. I think and there's even like um a great scene with Emma Stone is when she's telling him how like uh you're not even on Twitter, you don't care about Facebook and all that shit. And it's really kind of cheesy, but at the same time, it's kind of true. And, and unfortunately, uh, or fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to think it of it, is, th- that was very much 
a but, thing. It's a tool that basically, if you want to compete with other people in the same marketplace, yeah. you have to do. Well, maybe not even competition, but it's just more like that's how you can get the notoriety. Yeah. And I think that's how you can become more connected with an audience or be known by a wider amount of people. Yeah. But um, anyways, we'll probably figure out more about that when we watch it again. We're going to cut here. Let's and, come uh, back to that title yeah. thing. That's what we'll open up, perhaps. Maybe yeah. that's what we'll open up, and uh, we'll catch you guys later. Enjoy the break. And we're back, talking about Birdman and how it held up on the second time around. Yeah, we just watched it. Um, just finished it, really. This is uh, technically Christmas Eve right now. Ooh. Which, um, I mean, if we're going to do a little throwback for the listeners out there, the last time me and Dan recorded a cast on uh, Christmas Eve was actually our first episode, The Hateful Eight. It was, yeah. actually. Um, and just prior to that, we had a couple of test episodes recorded Right, in December. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just but a few yeah, things. the first cast we ever technically recorded was The Hateful Eight. And released, and released, yeah. And released, recorded yeah, and so released, yeah. And not necessarily an anniversary episode, because, I mean, I'm not going to give too much away, but we will have something like that in the near future. So stay tuned for that. But, um... I don't know, just a small thing I think we'd mentioned. It's fun. It's yeah. nice to know that every, I mean, Christmas Eve we can get a, we can get together and do this. And I think uh, it's weird to think that it's already been a year of doing this. <laughs> Not episodes. It is weird to think. And what episode will this be? 20... This will be 26, I think. 26. Let me just double check that. I think I might have... Uh, 25, it's sorry, 25. 25. Not including uh, the good old 2 and men uh, episodes and as well as like the off-the-cuffs. But yeah, right. strictly podcast-wise, 25. So, um, good amount of content in a year. Yeah, not I'm bad. I mean, we, we took yeah. a few breaks, obviously. Um, I mean, sure, we can talk about this for a second. We, we're planning for the next season to uh, definitely be a little bit, um, not more consistent, but like there will be less breaks. And we're going to be just doing the same method we've been doing lately. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we found that we're, we're, we're kind of in the same groove, the place where we'd like to be. We, we feel comfortable to be able to record a little bit more frequently. And we've got a nice system in place where we can uh, feel comfortable having a little bit less of a break time. Yes, uh, yeah. Uh, that being said, I mean, the break that we will have will be purely to work on new ideas for the upcoming right. series or yeah. season. Um, and so, yeah, there's lots of, co- lots of new things to expect. Yeah, lots of things coming. I mean, the break's not even coming for a couple of weeks, a couple of months now, but I mean, yeah, yeah, the, there will be a smaller break and we'll continue as always, but I think it just, we would, you know, just for the listeners out there, we will mention that we're definitely trying to be a little bit more, uh, I guess weekly with this show, essentially. Yes. Excuse absolutely. me. Anyways, anyways, so let's enough get, of that. Let's get back at it. Uh, like, uh, Kyle said, we just finished up watching for the second time. Um, not technically, but as far as the, uh, <laughs> this context is going and as far as we're planning and looking at this movie, um, well, it's been the first time I've seen it in probably two years and at least a year for yourself. Yeah. So it's been a bit, it's been a bit. And, uh, right off the bat, one thing I will say was damn fucking amazing music in this movie. The score is amazing. The full drum score. It like, is unreal. And I might've known, I, I, I probably that. didn't know. That. Like, this, well, I knew that it was good, yeah, 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 but yeah, I yeah. didn't know that you owned the record of this. I do, yeah, yeah. That was a nice yeah. gift I got. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty tight. We were actually just talking like it would have been kind of a nice touch if maybe we had like the record player playing the score lightly in the background. <laughs> but um, no, no, it's it's great. It's like um, it's drum yeah, heavy. It's drum based. Very drum yeah, heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to um, find the composer of this. And. You know, I really don't think there's a whole lot of other instruments in this. I think there's a touch of piano. 
um, towards the beginning and towards the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's. There's. I mean. Yeah. There's a few more instruments put in here and but there. But it's drum way is most prominent. of the breakdown. It's like that seems to be when whenever the drums are playing, you can almost assume that that's when the action is going. So the relationship relationship between the the actions in the movie and the music is is very close, and it, yeah, it, it's part of what makes the music so good and what makes the movie. Well, so Well, it good. feels fluid, right? I mean, that's what the movie is trying to do. Like this kind of like this liquid, not liquid narrative, but this. Uh, this, yeah, this very oh, they, like they nice flow very well. The flowing together. narrative yeah. and, and the music definitely plays in part with that. Yeah, and they just, sort of resonate with each other. Um, they kind of balance off each other. And we're gonna give credit to Antonio Sanchez on that. That's the guy who apparently did that. I wonder if Antonio Sanchez is the same drummer that ends up being shown in uh, the room where Edward Norton and oh, I don't know. Uh, Michael Keaton. Have that's a, a fight. that's a good question. I don't know. That would be cool because there's he a does what? appear in the film. Yeah, that's another weird thing that I don't really know why that's a thing, but I really do like it. That there's a I think twice maybe maybe three times even he does a the, the, there's a drummer playing drums in the film. yeah, um, and it it's, it's a it's little. Like, it's like the relationship between the music and his sanity, maybe, or I guess it's open to interpretation. But um, yeah, it's 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 funny because it is kind of um, it's a lot of nowhere, but at the same time, it makes you realize the score. You're like, "Fuck, it's pretty good." <laughs> it 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 flows really well. You know, if there's one thing that I would have to say about this movie is it's almost frustrating. And I mentioned in the first half how much I like a loose ending if it's done properly, properly and not lazily. Um, and I do like the loose ending of this movie. I almost want to touch more of detail to point me in the right direction. Not, not necessarily give me the answer, but point me in the right direction or give me some clues. This movie really doesn't give it to you and yeah. it's satisfying and I love it, but I hate it at the same time. And it's hard to tell if I hate it because I want more or if I genuinely just don't like it i think i think i'm in the, the camp ends. i'm in the camp where i think i i love it because to me this ending is very like the whole movie in, in a way is by the numbers because the movie kind of revolves around itself where like a lot of things are not necessarily repeated but they're revisited like small sections of what the play's about happens in his personal life and things about his past happens in the future and like there's connections between him and his daughter and the people in his life and this voice in his head and it's very it's very maybe hard to read on the first time around, but definitely the second viewing it, it's a more it's more apparent that what's happening is there always for a reason, always. There's right. no filler. So when it comes to the ending, for me it works because it's like everything has been shown and described to you if you look for it, but this ending is the one thing that's not, and that's why it's there. Right. Yeah, and really like you, uh, it's pretty much the last ten minutes of the film yeah, that are yeah, the about. most questionable or the most like up in the air, up for interpretation. But yeah, I guess I guess really all the answers for the movie lie in the beginning. Totally, hundred percent. Like there's some really great foreshadowing from um him. Okay, with spoiler territory here for sure. From him uh, shooting himself in the ear to um, also like uh, looking at um, how uh, him and his uh, like his love life is gone. Like talking about his him and his wife and him and his daughter. There's there's brief mentions of that, and it it all kind of. Um, it's repetition in a way, but it's not. Um, well, it's, it's not apparent from the get go because it happens slowly and subtly. Yeah, different aspects of the same idea, right? And you can see it right from the opening scene. He's literally floating and meditating in fucking thin air. That's so strange. When and his that, phone rings, that right? That does so, remind me a lot of The Revenant, by the way. I will say. Oh, does it? Yeah. There's that one scene, The Revenant, where he's like having a hallucination of him and his uh, his, his wife. His wife. Or, yeah. 
Or that's the, very not un- his wife, the mother of his kid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's yeah. Different cultures. And that's yeah. uh that's a uh, that's really reminiscent of that to me in that way. But anyways, continue. Yeah. So, and I, I see that connection also, and I think we did mention that briefly in the first half, but I think it's very apparent um, the 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 difference between his reality and his um, sort of insanity or whatever you want to call it. You could you could th- uh, assume it's insanity. You could assume or uh, deduct that it's something else, uh, an extension of himself. Uh, right, hallucinations, okay. um, his emotion shining through, however you want to break it down. Uh, they showcase that right off the bat because there's him levitating in thin air in the very opening scene. And then for the majority of the next hour of the film, you see very little of his connection to this sort of crazier part of himself. Yeah, And, and it, then it starts to appear more and more and more. I it's love almost those as scenes. if. Yeah, and it's, I love those scenes. It's almost as if he hits a breaking point or something clicks for him or it becomes a little bit too hard or it pushes this play that he's trying to act out becomes too much a part of his personal life and that brings him into his own personal demons, which most people would deal with or maybe he just can't. I think, I think it is the personal demons thing because I think it's this character of Birdman that he played as a superhero actor is so much a part of him, not only from his own personal experiences, but also from the media and everyone else only associating him with that role. It's kind of like, I mean, I would say for the most part, look at maybe an actor like Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, he was in Harry, he known as Harry Potter. He was in all eight Harry Potter films and sure. He's been other stuff since. And I would say even like the serious Swiss army man, I thought he was great in, but um, for the most part, it's hard for him to. People shed look that. at him and don't say Daniel; they say "Hey, Harry." It, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that's definitely what this film is speaking to, upon. And also, our character is experiencing essentially. You, you see this idea of maybe not necessarily being an actor or a human, but you're a role, you're a character. And he's probably, from what we see at least in the film, is like, the Birdman. The character is so much a part of him to the point where it's his subconscious almost. It's right. who he. It's who he turns to when he's unsure of what the next movie should take professionally. Like that was his biggest, most successful point. So that's what he thinks he should live up to. And yeah, then yeah. What he should well, live his, up to became benchmark. a character. Yeah. yeah. So this benchmark became a character in his own life that almost, de- like it, it validates his own reality. It does. But well, the thing is, it's funny that you say that because it's not. It's not his reality. It's it's a. It is. His, it's his reality, but he's viewing it in a. It's his validation, yeah, right? It's, so it's, it's not real. It's it's what he wants to be real. It's the pressure he puts on himself. And it's right? kind of it's kind of a um, he puts that in the form of a character, which is kind of unique. And you know, I think it's present in real life too. Yeah, I mean, people have an idea of you know thinking to yourself or having a, a persona that maybe you you rely on. And I think I don't know or talking. You know, when you talking hear, to yourself, you say something out yeah. loud to hear yourself say it. It's different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. I think that's fine, and I think maybe him being, I think it's him being human, more or less. It's like, sure, this is a weird character, it's a weird bird costume person oh, he's talking to. Right, no, I, but I he's agree But he's humanizing you. himself in a way where he's trying to not only be real with things around him, but being real with himself. And he's owning up to that, and I think the last scene plays that perfectly, too, where it's him literally wearing a mask of bandages, as a, a mass crusader, a mass person, and Birdman is just on the on the toilet, not saying anything. Because at that point, he's owned who he is. He doesn't need Birdman anymore. He knows who he is now, and he can fly away and be himself. That's yeah. kind of how I take that. Right. Personally. 
there's a lot of ways to go about that. I think every viewer, every listener to this show will have a different take on that. But I think I think that's a good yeah. way to look at it. Yeah, he's 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 since become more than Birdman, more than his most previous uh, his most successful previous role, um, and he it's accentuated by his action at the end of the movie. I don't want to give it away too much. Not too much. It, it's something definitely to check out. We've spoiled it enough, but of course. You know, definitely take. Got to leave at it. something yeah. to you to appreciate. But no, I think that the the connection to uh, being human and a certain humanity is kind of cool because uh, it, it's very commonplace that uh, somebody would talk to themselves, create a character of themselves, yes, an ex- an extension or a persona of themselves that maybe that extension says something about their weaknesses or their strengths, about their 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 real personality. Oh, totally, totally, and so. Yeah. I can see how those two different sides of this character work together, which is which which is kind of a cool thought. Now, there's a whole bunch of different ways to take it. For example, you could say that one is his emotions and one is his actions. I, th- you I think it's say, emotion based. I'd say it's yeah. emotion based because for me, it's like how you're saying. It's like if there's something you feel successful about and something that you think is a part of you and it's your your humanity, you're gonna compare that to the next step you take. And now we have a character here who's trying to make another step in his career. And of course, he's going to be relying on what he knows and what he's comfortable with, and that's the character of Birdman. And I think it's more like, I mean, if you're going to do anything new, let's say you're a doctor, but you decide you're going to become an artist, you're going to compare your doctor practice to your artistic practice. Do you know what I mean? Or you're going to try and carry over some skills. Exactly. And I, th- I yeah. think that is kind of what this film is saying. It's, sure, he's still an actor, but he's he's trying something new. He's really putting himself on the line so he's keeping in tune with what made him successful to hopefully continue that success. Right. And his uh, Birdman being his only previous successful role and being the limelight or the sort of skill base that carries him into this new role um, or as, uh, you know, somebody who's acting in an adaptation of a play that they wrote themselves, which everyone seems to think is very ambitious. So there's all this pressure and all these contributing factors that almost into what you can interpret as, uh, insanity or as a freeing or a breaking free or, uh, a mental battle that takes yeah, place. Right? I'm into the idea of a mental battle cause it's so much him trying to level with himself from the past and trying to kind of turn a new leaf and try something different and really own that. But it's hard for him because he's not really confident in himself. He wants to be, but he's not. And also the, I guess, what is it? The theater community, I guess you would say, doesn't really accept him either. And we see that a lot in the film. Right. They think is a guy who, they perceive him as a guy who thinks he can (coughs) show up and own it because he was something once. And and I think there's this clash of uh, even cultures in a way, this like theater culture and Hollywood film culture that don't really mesh maybe very well. The odd time you'll... Like in theater, I don't know much about theater, but I feel like when an actor from film tries to do something in theater, it's really um, it's really publicized highly. It's like, well, James Franco's in this new play. Right. And it kind of almost downplays the theater actors who are just theater actors in a way. Right, because who's this guy who has very little experience exactly. in my art 
showing up and uh, of bringing a whole bunch of attention to it, which is, I, I could I see how there's some jealousy and emotion in yeah. there. Um, I think there's pros and cons to it. True, and I think true, depending true. on how you approach it, it can be positive or negative. But I agree with you. That is an element in, this, uh, in, the, in the film. And I think it's funny that you bring that up because I think that is our answer to our question from the last uh, half, which is what is the subtitle of this film, The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance? And I did a little, little bit of research and I kind of took my own interpretation on this. And it's more so, more so his unexpected talent of a lack of ignorance and how he makes choices that an experienced person would not, but yet they unexpectedly work. Right. So in this film, he's, he's, making a, he's making a play that he doesn't really know how to make a production, a theater production. <laughs> right, he's ignorant. He's ignorant of how it works, how it should be, but yet it's successful. And it's a virtue because he didn't know how to do it, but he's still successful at it. And, and I, I mean, it's it's a word. It's a little wordy for a subtext. And I think maybe that's the point. It's kind of yeah. pretentious for pretentious's sake. You can't. But I, I, it does work. It definitely makes well, sense. It, it makes sense, and uh, it's a connection I definitely did not make the first time around. Um, it definitely took hold the second time around, and that's probably because we talked about it. Um, we were curious for sure. We were curious. I think there's a chance I could have noticed it on my own too if I had spaced out my first viewing and my second viewing by about a week instead of back right. to back like, like I mentioned in the first half. I guess cast. I always saw the virtue of ignorance maybe just more so him like... I saw it a little more philosophical. Like I applied it to the plot rather than applying yeah. it to like direct quotation to the movie. Well, it, it is part of the plot in a way that he is trying to... like The plot is about him making the making the play... And even though he doesn't know what he's doing, he's so c confident in the play. And I mean, Edward Norton also says it too, where he's like, "Yeah, you might shit on this play to the th uh, film, uh, the theater critic, sorry." But he says, "This guy's going out on stage tomorrow, and he's laying everything on the line: his career, his uh, his passion, his artistry, and that is theater. Whether yeah. he's going to succeed or fail, and it's kind of." I can admire like that. Like the interpretation of what theater or quality theater is maybe is in question. Yeah, and it, it's funny to think that there's like this um, this maybe a benchmark or another like epicenter you, you need to find to have the credentials to be respected. And if you're just a, some Hollywood hack, even a wash-up Hollywood hack, like think of it this way. If Charlie Sheen was to star in a big budget uh, Broadway play, would people be skeptical? Damn rights they would be. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I, I mean, maybe that's not a, a completely fair, like, comparison. But in a way, I think that's understandable. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, you could say that about anyone in Hollywood who's very inexperienced in theater or anyone in theater who's inexperienced in Hollywood, right? It's like, imagine a very famous uh, uh, Broadway theater actor gets a very main role in a fucking Seth Rogen pineapple-esque film. You're going to be skeptical. You're going to be like, who's this theater motherfucker showing up? Everyone's going to be skeptical. I mean, that's because humans, as a, as a base emotion, are afraid of new things, I think. Um, now, I don't think that's a, a bad thing or a good thing, really. I think it's good to have a little bit of a both, uh, of both or people that support either party so that we can take a look on the second viewing and decide <laughs> which yeah. one really works like, and what really the, makes sense. The compare and contrast do help but I, again it's it's hard to say for people that like if this is your living you do something for a living 
you're gonna. I mean, it's like if say like someone came to your work and they were like, "Well, I know this better than you do." You're like, "What the fuck are you talking about? I do this every day." Yeah, it work, hurts. Yeah, it, it hurts. hurts. It, it hurts. totally hurts. But every once in a while, you do run into a guy to, yeah, who yeah. says that, and he's right. Is right. Yeah, you're right. No. So I, there's something humbling about the, that. Yeah, yeah, there's a humbling experience, and I think the film even kind of. Uh, it's funny because it, it's almost tragic, and actually, it is tragic because. This film covers that where it's like Michael Keaton's character realizes that. He's like, you know, what everyone's saying about this play and the pressure about it, you know, they're right. I need I need to overcome that. Right, and he goes, here's what they want, here's what they want, here's what they want, and he ends up fucking taking a real gun Shit. on stage instead of a prop. It's like that now, movie we saw a couple weeks ago, Christine, actually, now that I think about it. It is, yeah. We saw this film called Christine about like a, a, a news anchor who... At least was, the mentality of those characters was, at the climax. Yeah, was succumbing to the pressures of, like, shock television news. And she... Right, we or tell- coming up with a good story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, though, uh, Christine is is uh, an autobiography. It'd, uh, it'd be a biopic, because it's based on a true story. Yeah. So the woman eventually actually kills herself on air, um, shocking everyone and giving the juiciest story of what she thinks will be her life, but it's to the point where it's too controversial that most people don't even really know that ever happened. I, I mean, until the movie Christine. Well, yeah, I yeah. Suppose. I would say a lot of people probably were, were uh, introduced to that idea from there. And that this is very similar in this film, like where he, we he assume put, he tries to take his life, right? Yes, I guess. We, we assume he tries to take his life by the way the scene plays out. Um, but uh, I, w- What's confusing, and maybe this is a point for after this we finish this discussion, but what's con- the most confusing part about the film to me is um, why he decides to take the real gun on stage. Um, I guess I kind of get that he's That would saying, be the suicide aspect in my opinion. I, he's kind of saying that, yeah, I'm going to give them a real story to talk about. I'm going to show them that I really fucking care about this play kind of thing. But at the same time... You, I almost have to question his sanity um, a little bit more, which makes me question the end of the movie. So there's some contradicting ideas. Maybe there's a little bit more of a connection uh, to be made for me. Maybe something I'd benefit on a third viewing. I don't know. But <laughs> well, I, I do think that that comes down to maybe like Edward Norton's character constantly talking about how you need to put yourself on the stage and things need to be real and realistic. Okay, yeah. And I think he's taking that to heart. And like we were just saying, how... He's taking all these ideas from other people around him in the community saying, you know what, fuck it, fine, I'll do what you guys want. This is what I'm going to do. I'll take it to an extreme if I have to. And, I mean, that's how I see it. I don't know. And I, it, right. it, I would assume that him grabbing that actual gun on stage is either he wanted to actually shoot off his nose or he actually wanted to kill himself. Again, that's kind of open for interpretation. You never really find out. Mm-hmm. But... It creates this idea in the newspapers called super realism, and right. it, it makes this uh, this new genre for himself, and he does create that legacy that he was earning for. He he absolutely does, as Zach Galifianakis mentions in in one of the f- the final scenes. But I would say if you know what, if I had to write a fucking book report about this movie and I had to hand it in tomorrow morning, the connection that. I personally feel I'm slightly lacking in a very minuscule way um, would be that he did want to kill himself, right. um, fucked it up, 
realized he's he's now created a legacy almost accidentally the same way that he may have stumbled into his first role well, no, and totally seeks right. freedom after that which is what the very ending of this of of that of the movie is and i like i said i don't want to give away too too much there's a lot of spoilers already but <laughs> let, we'll try to save you well, some hear grace me out, man. Here. i will elaborate on that briefly for you because i think i think you're right in the way that Again, to the beginnings of the film, foreshadowing, he talks to a character, he's reading a line, sorry, to another character about the play, and he's saying, man, the guy couldn't even shoot himself in the ear correctly. And eventually he can't even shoot himself in the nose correctly. So it's, right. it's, it's this mirror of the work and reality, and it gets to the point where he's unexpectedly creating ignorance, Right. Right, or the same, yeah, the same thing he says about that actor. He accidentally created something great. The most truthful thing that fucking actor has ever done is bled from his ear. Exactly, bled on the stage. so maybe the most truthful thing that Michael Keaton's character has ever done was pulling the trigger through his fucking nose. He may have fucked it up, but at least it was real. And it is this idea of shocking, because shock and shock, uh, uh, what's the word, like, um... What is that called? Like the horror wow porn effect, or yeah. shock factor, whatever you want to call yeah. it. It's it's the point where he's even walking into he stumbles into the stage in his underwear and it gets all it gets all this attention. It's that shock factor. It's it keeps then, saying you have to up the stakes. Things need to be upped and they need to be uh, extrapolated on to be successful and to be noticed in this day and age to go viral, which is another huge part of this film. Right. Him and Emma Stone, they talk about how you want to be noticed and you want to be, you want to have that power in different places. Yeah. And I think there's something worth saying that people looked at him and said they judged him for not having the heart that was there or the heart into this play. I would say that he thought, and I believe that his heart was in the play and his execution wasn't there. And I think things changed places for people. People believed his heart wasn't there when it was, um, when his execution was actually lacking. And eventually, when he executed uh, by attempting to commit suicide or shooting himself in the nose, whatever you you like to believe, people believed he had heart and he showcased um, his heart in an almost false manner where it's like these opinions of people switched places where it's like people thought he was heartful uh, <laughs> at that point true. when maybe he wasn't before. So it's well, this, it's, I, I kind of look at it this way. This guy doesn't really know. Like he has so much going on in his life and he's so stressed and he's so scrambled that he almost can't do anything right. So I guess, the, and yet <laughs> he's still giving it all or whatever yeah. he can to this thing yeah, that yeah, he yeah. keeps he, fucking up. He's not, not even that he's not, can't do anything right, but he's not even sure how to properly do everything. He doesn't know how to make a play. He doesn't even know how to shoot himself properly. It's like, like, it, it, it's this funny thing where he's having this conflict with his personal sense and a conflict with his ego almost. It's like he stumbles upon, he stumbles up everything he does and he stumbles upon the success he gets. And I, I love that, that he gets that success because it is that underdog story and it is that, like I wrote down here, like Icarus rising from the ashes. And they make that very clear in the film where they talk they about it. Yeah, they, there's and they even scene. show some visuals of it. And it's, and again, we talked about this earlier in the first half of just the idea of Michael Keaton being a character who was, I guess, say at this point before Birdman came out, kind of a washed up celebrity in a way. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe not completely, but, you know, definitely wasn't making the the bank or the films he once was. And mm. this was so rewarding to me in, like, an aftermath sense because, you know, he he won a Best Actor Golden Globe. He They won Best Picture, and it, it was this successful... Not only and was so, the film successful for himself in the movie, but it was this... This under underdog story coming to life. It's now relatable to him in real life, and that that works on another level. And it's it's funny to think of. I guess it's like this is an example of something we've never really talked about, but it like the movie being a cultural idea makes the movie slightly better. Right, and I think that is an example of this because it's like, I, Birdman was successful, therefore Michael Keaton was successful, therefore his character was successful, and right. I, I think. Well, however you want to take this film, that to me is, I think, what matters most, to be honest. I think, yeah, I think in order to play a role correctly, you've got to have a personal connection to it. And, um, yeah. And whether that personal connection is public or private, it doesn't matter. A personal connection uh, can make all the, all, all the difference. All the difference in the end. So I think that should, that, that's our final thought here. Well, I got one big final thought out, dude. There's a good shout out to our boy Michael Fassbender in this film that I didn't I didn't notice. Oh, respect, yeah, that's true. They didn't want to cast Edward Norton's character originally. They wanted to get Fassbender, but he was busy uh, working on X Men at the time, according to the film. And then they make a po- <laughs> yeah. Edward Norton brings that up. What are you gonna fucking do? Pull pull Fassbender from X Men? <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I love that shit. That's yeah. Also, fucking guys, anything Fassbender is so good. I'm watching Assassin's Creed tomorrow. So I'll give you guys a loaded on that at some point. Are you doing that double feature? I'm doing a double feature tomorrow. Star Wars and Assassin's Creed. Fuck, well... You fucking cocksucker. You're watching every good movie in theaters Dude, right now. I'm sorry. It's holidays. I'm trying to watch a flick. I guess that'll be... Uh, we'll tell you right now. Uh, next, off the cuff, will be Rogue One. So guys, look out for that. That's coming very soon. Um, I'm Kyle. I'm Dan.